This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast, produced by the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. For more information about Comparative Media Studies or on the Colloquium series, visit us online at cms.mit.edu. Lon Lay. I'm a second year grad student at the Comparative Media Studies program and I have the pleasure today of introducing Tak Toyoshima who is a syndicated cartoonist and uh, he has the distinct honor of being the first Asian American cartoonist to get basically national uh, exposure through all of the newspapers across the United States. Um, I saw his work last summer on the web just as he had been moving into uh, national syndication. And what I think distinguishes Huck's work from ev- a lot of what's out there is his willingness and his glee in tackling race issues. And not even just race issues, but the ideas of the way people form groups and how those groups have identities and the paradoxes that we work ourselves into in the ways that we affiliate ourselves to these identities. So, without further ado, talk to Yoshima. <laughs> Hello. Uh, before I start, for some reason, I'm having a little uh, difficulty getting my. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know. I was kind of a. There we go. That's what I wanted. Um, as you heard, I'm a by day creative director at the Weekly Dig newspaper. Um, you guys read it? Ever heard of it? Know it? Okay, good. Um, I'm also a creative director for a, a national beer magazine, Beer Advocate, which is you know kind of you know balances out that whole thing. <laughs> so we, we got a nice beer fridge in the in the office, um, and you know of course I'm also a comic strip artist and uh, been a kind of have that double-edged uh, title of having you know the first Asian American uh, lead character. I guess technically is the way to put it, uh, in syndication, going through like uh, United Features, um, which kind of, uh, I couldn't believe at first, I suppose, because I was like, really, 2007, because I launched last year, and it's like, and that's never happened. And uh, the first round of PR that went out from UFS was, you know, like, first Asian American, you know, cartoon strip ever. And I'd get a couple emails like, well, actually, you know, there was uh, Bruce Lee Adventures, you know, which was d- done in the 70s. And, um, you know, mostly autobiographical, and then somebody else pointed out Charlie Chan, I guess, was Asian American, which I actually had no idea either. So, you know, it was just one of those, like, really? Like, he didn't, you know, the, the way they uh, dialogued him didn't sound very Asian American. It sounded actually very Far Eastern. So, so I guess I'm probably the most uh, recent one, anyway, uh, Asian American in, in syndication. So, um, you know, and the name itself, you know, Secret Asian Man, has is, is definitely brought some interesting responses from editors. Um, and to me, every now and then I wonder, you know, like, am I not in more papers because of the name? And is it, is it a divisive kind of title? So um, later on I'm going to talk about uh, a strip that I actually did, kind of uh, questioning my own decision to call it Secret Agent Man. Um, so I started about nine years ago, so it's been a while since I did this. And uh, when I first did it, it was in a monthly arts magazine in, in Boston called Shovel. And it was this completely, you know, it was just a bunch of friends, uh, illustrators, photographers, uh, my now wife, poets, uh, people like that, just kind of put, coming together, putting out the zine type thing, um, you know, printing and distributing and doing the whole thing. So it was kind of a labor of love. And, and, you know, my friend Jeff, who started the magazine, 
said, hey, you know, you, you draw, you, you want, you know, do you, you want to do some comics? And I was like, all right, cool. And I had no idea. There was no secret Asian man at that point. And, um, you know, so I kind of sat down. And at that point, I had been working in the comics industry, uh, doing inking for The Tick, which I don't know if you guys have heard of The Tick. It's like a superhero spoof kind of uh, published locally, actually, and uh, by New England Comics. And, uh, you know, so I was doing that for a little while and uh, going around the convention circuit and meeting, like, Tick fans, which are really <laughs> weird people. Um, you know, and, and it was cool. It was good for the ego. And, uh, you know, but after a while, people started doing things like bringing up uh, Tick toys and, like, lunch boxes and, hey, sign my toy. And, you know, I'm like, you know, I, did, I had nothing to do with your toy. And it's like, oh, no, sign it on the chest. I'm like, Ugh, you know, writing it. <laughs> and, uh, and it was cool. But, you know, after a while, you just kind of, you realize that... Um, you know, people aren't necessarily coming, or I was realizing, people weren't coming to see me, they were coming to see the Tick artist. And so that's when I started thinking, like, well, you know, if I were to do a comic, what would that comic be? And, uh, you know, kind of started getting introspective about it. I was like, well, what do I know most out of anybody in the world? And, you know, pretty much it was my life and my experiences, my growing up. Um, so when I was doing Shovel Magazine and my friend said, hey, you want to do a comic, all this kind of came to a head. And I said, well, I'm going to do this thing and you know, just see where it goes. Um, and in the beginning, it was pretty much, you know, I call it kind of uh, art therapy, just kind of public art therapy where I would just write something and not even overly think about it and publish it. And, you know, plus I knew it wasn't like going out to millions of people. This was a 2,000 print run, small arts thing, mostly in Cambridge and Somerville. So I wasn't too worried. Um, but what it did do was kind of focus, um, you know, it was, it was just kind of like the seed that, that helped me um, think about the kind of things that I want to talk about. And at first, it was very personal stuff and pretty autobiographical stuff. Um, Things like, I mean, I went to a Japanese summer camp. I don't know if anybody went to a, an ethnic, ethnically themed summer camp, but it's kind of a weird experience in, a, in a upstate New York. And, you know, I, I'm, I was born and raised in New York City, so coming from Manhattan to the middle of you know, Fleischmann's, New York, with uh, 200 other Japanese kids and uh, was kind of a bizarre experience. So a lot of you know, nice, good stories in there. Um, and uh, I, I took a calligraphy class. You know, I learned how to, you know, make my own ink and do the whole thing. And, you know, just every Saturday morning was calligraphy class. And I uh, did that for, like, 10 years. Um, you know, would go with my brother, uh, took kendo classes. So a lot of, like, kind of my parents came over from Japan, and I was born here. So they were still trying to, you know, get me to push me to, you know, accept the some of the Japanese cultural stuff, which, you know, was fun. Um, and I think at that time I just didn't. If I didn't want to go, it was because I was a kid that didn't want to go where his parents wanted me to go. So <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a cultural thing that really got in the way. But So a lot of the beginning strips had to do with those kinds of things. Um, and as I got a little bit older, I kind of started realizing that while I looked different, or while I looked the same, I grew up in Chinatown in New York, from a lot of the kids that I went to high school, was like 99% Chinese. Um, and the people in my neighborhood, I kept sensing that I was somehow different. And, you know, it was in the subtle things that I didn't, I didn't even realize till way later. Things like uh, I had a friend who, you know, I, would, I was best friends with pretty much, went to his house one day, and um, his uh, mom kicked me out of the house pretty much, said, oh, you know, I don't want him in the house. And I was like, oh, whatever. You know, I thought it was because I was, you know, loud or whatever. Uh, and it was years later when I find out that, you know, 
my friend's mom came from a generation who really didn't like Japanese people, and this is a Chinese kid. And so, you know, I had no idea. And this is just one of those examples where you, you'd have no control over it. Um, and it's only years later when you realize that's what that was about. Uh, so, you know, things like that are interesting to kind of, you know, reflect on. And when you're doing comics, I don't know if anybody, are you guys here because you like to draw comics or just interested in comics or mix? <laughs> um, when you look at a blank piece of paper, you, you start strategizing on how to tell your story. Um, and, uh, you know, all these scenarios run through your head and all these uh, kind of childhood memories started just flashing and, you know, you, you got to figure out how to communicate exactly what happened to you and kind of how you felt at the time. Um, you know, so that was kind of a nuanced one. And a lot of, the, you know, racially themed things can be very overt, but a lot of them are nuanced too. And, you know, sometimes those are really challenging to get through. Um, also growing up uh, in New York, Chinese gangs were a, kind of a big problem uh, in the, uh, during the 80s. And I remember, uh, you know, getting approached uh, kind of to be recruited. And, and uh, it was actually my Japanese-ness that saved me from not being recruited into the Chinese gangs because, you know, that's pretty much, you know, well, we can't have him because even though I was a big kid in junior high school, um, I'm Japanese, can't be in a Chinese gang. So that saved me, actually. Worked in my favor. Um, and then, if I could show you the first strip. There we go. All right. First strip, I was also a uh, minority of the minorities in my school. Um, so, I don't know, you could probably read it, but suddenly it hit me. I, I was surrounded by kids who looked exactly like me, but they spoke differently. They were all Chinese. Mandarin, Cantonese, Taiwanese. I was the only Japanese kid, and, and I was officially a freak. And I went ping pong, jing chong, ha ha ha. And uh, it dawned on me that kids were talking uh, about me in Chinese that I couldn't understand. Some of them tried to teach me some words, but didn't tell me what they really meant. And boy, did those Chinese girls have a ball ripping me a new one. Puberty was tough enough without the egg drop sisters harassing me. <laughs> so, so what did I do? I hung out with the other minorities. Ralph the Spick. Gaetano, the Italian kid, and Charlie, the Hawkeye, black guy. We were the minorities of the minorities. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and, and that's completely true. It was one of those strange things. And I had Chinese friends, and it wasn't as severe. But, um, you know, that's just, it, it was an interesting uh, experience. Uh, my brother went to my, he's older, four years older, same school. And uh, he actually had a run-in with a, an Italian kid. Um, because Chinatown, if you know New York City, is on the border of Little Italy, and a lot of you know a lot of stuff happened. At least when I was growing up, and uh, my brother and I were hanging out in the, in the schoolyard, that one, and uh, he was reading Shogun Warriors, like comic books, and you know we were just reading to each other. We we're the only kids in the in the yard, and a group of like fifteen Italian kids come in, you know, play basketball in our yard, and uh, came right up to us and asked my brother, you know, who was kind of my hero at the time. He's like, oh, you know, what are you reading? He's like, oh, you know, comics. And he reads it, rolls it up, and slaps my brother across the face with it. And, you know, and I still clearly remember that moment because it was, you know, this was my big brother getting slapped in the face, and he didn't do anything. It was just one of those situations where you couldn't do anything. Um, you know, the whole time getting, you know, just racial epithets thrown at you. And what do you do? You know, as a kid, we just, we just walked home, and it was just kind of a quiet walk home. So... These are the kinds of experiences growing up in New York that, you know, it, it's not exclusive to growing up in New York, but that I kind of 
started bubbling up to the surface. Um, and uh, so that was good. And it, and it really was, for me, kind of a therapy to really get it out there. Because, you know, for anybody who does any sort of kind of creative outlet, painting or drawing or even writing, um, once you produce it and then you reflect on it, it takes on kind of a different life. Um, and that hopefully will inform what you do next. And you, that's how you kind of build this, uh, this life work. My dad is an artist, too, and he has this concept that, you know, of a life work. You start something, you end something once you're done. You know, you're retired with the artwork. And you look at the span of the whole thing. And that's what, you know, if you focus too much on what's the next step, sometimes you kind of get lost. You just kind of, you should kind of do and see where you went is maybe a little bit more of a natural way to go. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. Uh, so, you know, I did this for a couple of years, a lot of these kind of stories, little one-shot type things. Um, and then I even went and I did a complete year of, actually, this is from that, the origin series where, you know, I felt like I was just spitting out just one shot, one shots, kind of punchline-y type things. So I decided to, you know, this is part six. I started when I was born all the way up to the point where I had started to do the comic strip. So just to kind of give the readers a, 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 an idea of what I went through and what would bring a person to sit down and draw these comics. Um, so yet again, another, that was a, another full year of personal therapy there. Um, but, you know, I think I learned a lot, and I learned how to pace uh, comics uh, coming from comic books, which, you know, I'm sure you know is completely different kind of pacing. You got 24 pages or whatever to tell your story. You got panels that can go into each other. Comic strips, suddenly you're in and out. You got to, you know, set it up, uh, you know, and deliver the punch and get out. Um, so it helped me to do that. And, uh, but, you know, while I was doing it, 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 it kind of dawned on me also that besides being this, you know, just personal work, there was an opportunity to actually get a message out. And so, you know, I kind of, you know, reflected and said, well, you know, what would that message be? Um, kind of, you know, what am I trying to say? Is it, you know, about Asian culture? And is it kind of that, you know, stock photo ideal of, you know, the culture of Asia and, you know, almost like a tourist commercial kind of thing and just a, an appreciation and, you know, and that wasn't it. And uh, to me, I think I identified kind of an anger towards, you know, the man, kind of the media, uh, mainstream culture, uh, being underrepresented, watching TV and not seeing people that look like me. Um, so that's kind of what I went after. And, uh, you know, it, so I set out on this goal to, uh, you know, to have, to create an Asian face, put it out there and try to have it be, you know, a little more emasculated, a little bit more, you know, dangerous, uh, not just, you know, the safe, a smart guy. Um, so I pretty much jumped on a kind of media portrayals in, in movies, TV. Um, anybody ever see the movie uh, Romeo Must Die? Jet Li, cinematic masterpiece. <coughs> um, oh, Jack, you saved those kids, repaired the nuclear reactor, and killed all the bad guys, and now you've saved me. Come here, you stud muffin. Wink. Oh, Tyrone, you saved those kids, put, those pro put out the project fires, and killed all the crack dealers, and now you've saved me. Come here, my ebony warrior. Oh, Sam, you saved those kids, found the stolen money, cured cancer, built a water-fueled car, and kicked snot out of about 53 henchmen, and now you've saved me. Thanks a lot. 
<laughs> and for anybody who hasn't seen that movie, that's pretty much how I felt. I mean, it's you know, it's Jet Li and Aaliyah, and it's you know, it's supposed to be modeled after Romeo and Juliet, one of the you know big romance stories in you know all creation. And at the end, they they hugged, and it was you know, it was it was. <laughs> Like, you know, the police, and, you know, it was, just, it was totally end of the movie. They come together, and they hugged, and that was it. And, uh, and evidently, I guess they did, they did a testing where they actually kissed, and, you know, this thing, and the audience didn't like it. It was just like, eh, uncomfortable, you know, and so it, it never happened. Um, so it was that kind of thing uh, that I <laughs> kind of decided to go after. Um, <laughs> probably around this time was when I was starting to get more and more... Uh, brutal with the strips, where I was trying to, because, you know, now I was on this mission to get attention, I was trying to scream the attention out, like, look at me, and um, so I would try to, you know, get as, not as nasty, but, I don't know, at some point I would love to collect all the, these are all from the weeklies, when I started doing with the uh, the weekly dig, um, uh, you know, which, you know, for alt media, you can read if I can say it, you can read fucks, shits, you can read all that kind of stuff in an in a alternative weekly that you can't read in, like, the Boston Globe. So, you know, the, all these strips were kind of, you know, had that in mind. You know, I, I knew what I could get away with. Um, the, uh, but, you know, like, in terms of the, the kinds of subject matter, I was kind of digging into a wealth of things. And, you know, this is just a, you know, an actual photo of, like, a World War II time photo of a firing range. And, uh, you know, this was during a time when I was kind of hoarding and collecting old propaganda posters and just, you know, all the Jap things and, um, you know, kind of going into history, I guess, and, and, and stepping out of my personal story um, and seeing what has been out there and what people, have, you know, before me have grown up and seen. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Seuss, who, oh, there we go. Let's see if I can spin this clockwise. There we go. Um, you know, for those, there was a Dr. Seuss book that came out that actually uh, reprinted all his wartime artwork, and a lot of it was kind of that propaganda type stuff. And, uh, you know, and to me, he was this, you know, beloved childhood illustrator, kind of, you know, what's wrong with Dr. Seuss? And, as a Japanese, you know, American, it was kind of strange to see that, um, you know. And then this was the tip of the iceberg, and then I started looking into other kind of, uh, you know, Looney Tunes and things like that. And there was a lot of wartime effort, you know, illust uh, animations and comics, and, you know, it was a very um, collective effort. Um, you know, but at the same time, knowing that uh, there was context to it all, you know, n not that that's a free pass or you know, a right to do it, but that it was at a time where this was not unusual. Um, let's rotate that back. Um, and then, yeah, this is a sad but true moment. Uh, this was in high school. <laughs> Happened in, I think it was English class. It's like, hey, Aaron, you're Indian, right? Huh? Well, both my parents are from Bangladesh. I was born here in New York City, and the kid literally was like, woo, 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 right in the middle of class. And, <laughs> and I didn't even have to look. I just heard this go on behind me, and uh, dumbfounded. <laughs> but, you know, those are the things you just can't ignore. Um, kind of corporate greed stuff, like looking at, um, 
thinking about, you know, I mean, those years, now everybody's talking about China and, you know, everything comes from China. Um, having that in mind, kind of, you know, so these are kind of old stats, but looking at what the CEO of McDonald's made versus the Chinese labor girl would make for that year. Um, same thing with Nike Town, you know, must do it. And uh, Burma, now I guess Myanmar. And just to show, you know, it started getting kind of, you'd pick up little factoids and, you know, kind of stats and things, and you'd, I started wanting to make kind of a strips based on them. Uh, so they became kind of informative. Um, and then also looking at things like, you know, uh, every now and then I'll get an email from a, somebody who would call me racist because all I do is go pro-Asian, pro-Asian, you know, like you hate white people. And, um, or, or even sp more specific, uh, you love Japanese people, but you don't do things about Chinese people. And it becomes a, you know, an intra-racial kind of tension. Um, so, you know, to kind of stave that off, kind of going into Japanese history. Uh, in Taiwan, demonstrators gathered in front of a well-known bookstore to protest a controversial comic book that hit the sh uh, shelves early last month. The book is called On Taiwan by the popular Japanese manga artist uh, Yoshinori Kobayashi. Kobayashi has produced many comic books dealing uh, with Asian identity nationalism. In On Taiwan, Kobayashi portrays Taiwanese women as voluntary sex slaves or comfort women for the thousands of Japanese soldiers during World War II. They're shown in lines eagerly signing up for duty. Uh, despite several high-ranking officials, including President Lee Tang-hui, shown here in the pages of On Taiwan, who agreed with Kobayashi's portrayal, Outraged citizens burned copies of the books in the streets, as well as burned the defaced Japanese flags in defense of the thousands of women who were victimized by the Japanese military who forced wartime prostitution. They don't have a Women's History Month in Japan. So, you know, it, clearly not all the strips are meant to be funny, um, you know, which was oddly a, a kind of a strange criticism that I'd get, like, it's not funny. Well, maybe it's not supposed to be funny. Um, so... You know, you know, and some of them definitely uh, have more of a, you know, I guess kind of a, like a heartfelt message. Like you just kind of see something, you go, I, I got to write a strip about this. And that's when, you know, I start writing a, you know, have a notebook or, you know, I wish I had a little tape recorder. Every time I just could think of something and just, you know, like speak it in. This is one of those things when, you know, when I found out about it. Um, and then not only Japan, Japan over there, but Asian Americans over here. Uh, you know, once I started doing more talks at uh, colleges and things like that, meeting people, meeting people at the Asian American clubs and that kind of thing, and it, it kind of took me back to when I went to college and high school, and there was the Chinese Culture Club and the Japanese Culture Club and the Korean Culture Club, um, and I never joined any of them because, yeah, and I always wondered what they did. Like, what do you do? Like, you just sit there and you know, be Chinese, or like, you know, I, I don't know what you do. Um, but kind of like, you know, the, the extreme version of that, you know, is like the, yo, 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 what up, brother? Where are your yellow pins? This isn't a lad. Oh, geez. Dude, where's your yellow pin? Ain't you got no Asian pride? And if you've seen it, spelled to the Y, it drives me nuts. Um, what the hell are you talking about? Are you high? It's like, high on pride, yo. We wear these yellow pins to show that we're proud of our culture and stuff. We have meetings, hip-hop battles, import car races. So we can band together, uh, uh, so we can bond, learn about our funky, fresh heritage, and get close to our ancestors. Far East Side. Mm -hmm. I've been wearing ebonic peroxide ads or Asian pride, then I'm really, really ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and, and you know, it, it's one aspect of a Asian American culture finding. And to me, it's fascinating because, you know, uh, it, you know, Asian American youth definitely, for the most part, seems to have uh, gravitated towards this hip hop culture, um, and you know, youth in general, but. Uh, you know, and it's funny because when I was growing up, uh, and, and rap started in New York City, kind of thing, I definitely gravitated right towards it. And I don't know what it was. Uh, you know, clearly it didn't look like me at that point. It was pretty much 100%, you know, black music uh, coming from Harlem, from Queens, from very specific areas. Uh, so I'm not sure what drew me to it, but you know, it, it's just interesting to me that it still does the same thing. Um, so, and this was me coming off of a. Uh, a heavy metal stage. I was way into like Judas Priest and uh, bands like that, and somehow I jumped from heavy metal to hip hop and rap. Um, okay, and then next is probably the granddaddy of them all. Uh, this was shortly after 9 11, and uh, you know, I had a lot of pent up anger about um, just, you know, if you go back to that time. There were American flags everywhere. Everything was all about God bless America. Uh, and there was this kind of sense of, uh, you know, almost forced patriotism. And it was, you know, it was kind of driving me nuts. And basically, I don't know, this is what came out. So I did a thing where it says, fuck God. So everyone listen up. Fuck God. God is a vehicle for the weak-minded God provides a convenient explanation for things that the mindless masses don't want to comprehend, like carrot top. God was created by men in an attempt to control the action of others, and if there really is a God, evidently he'll bless America for $14.99 and takes credit cards. So it was this really, I mean, there was a lot of things going on in this one, and one of them was kind of this, uh, you know, this business that was booming because of this weird patriotism in a, in a very strange time. Um, but at the same time, uh, when I kept hearing God Bless America, I did another strip that I actually didn't, I don't think I loaded here, but uh, where it was a kind of a downward shot of the United States and it was in the clouds and all the different other gods, like, you know, Indian gods and Buddha and all these other gods, like Vikings, all hanging out playing cards because, you know, and all these uh, people are yelling God Bless America in, uh, in the U.S. And they're all like, well, you know, they don't mean us. So I just kept getting this underlying feeling that God Bless America was a very specific god and it was almost, you know, it was very subtle. And, um, but to me, it, I just couldn't hear anything else but that. And then, you know, suddenly you, on the other side, you hear, you know, the word jihad. And it just, you know, that's kind of what came up with this. And, uh, uh, you know, what followed were death threats. Um, you know, people who, you know, knew where the office was, uh, you know, threatening to come down, uh, kick my ass, uh, do all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, clearly not, none of that happened, but it, it was, I think, probably the first time I, you know, really, well, A, I was like, hey, people are reading the strip. But B, <laughs> you know, it made me kind of realize, okay, well, if I had to step out of my own skin and read this, what would I think kind of thing? And, uh, you know, which was still hard to do. I mean, when you're so close to something, it's hard to really do that uh, and, and be kind of honest with yourself. Like, I, I still... I never regret any of the strips that I do, even if I'm factually wrong, even if, you know, they're so severe that it would, it would turn people off to the strip. Um, to me, it kind of falls all back into that life, life work kind of thing, where this was a time where, you know, these are may, maybe my teen angst years. Um, 
and uh, you know, I was just kind of getting my my uh, my yayas out. So you know, and I, I would it would crack me up to see. Um, I would get emails from I got one email from a guy who threatened to you know kick my ass, who was the head of uh, like the Asian American community group or something like that. I'm like, and here's the guy who wants to band together all the Asian groups and he wants to come and kick my ass, you know. And it was just a very strange kind of message that I was getting, um, and uh, you know. From the days of when, uh, you know, these strips were out, I think a lot has changed. Uh, if you look at, you know, mainstream culture now, there's a lot. We do have a few more faces out there, uh, a few more people in key kind of uh, positions. Um, but I tend to think it's still kind of in a balance. Like, you guys know Justin Lin? He did, like, Better Luck Tomorrow. He did Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. But he's, like, one of those kind of, you know, Asian-American stars just because he made it and he's a director and he's got some power now and he's got pull and he's given Asian actors some, you know, some jobs. Um, but, uh, you know, for every one of those, we, you know, we still get like the long duck dong kind of from Sixteen Candles character. Or, you know, for every, you know, Sanjaya from American Idol, we get a, you know, William Hung. And this always seems to be like one step forward, two steps back. Um, you know, for like, uh, if you guys watch Heroes, you know, like we got Hero, who's great. You know, he's out there and whatever. But then, uh, uh, you ever hear of Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior? It's like a Disney show. And I was like, really? Is this real? And I thought it was like a Cartoon Network spoof or something. It's like, wow, this is this is a real show. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's like a Buffy the Vampire style thing, but she's Chinese, and you know, ancestors come out of the you know the smoke, and it's really weird. Um, and, you know, and there's always a dragon involved. Um, so, you know, while there are people in some key, you know, spots, I don't think we've quite arrived yet. And, uh, you know, it, it's definitely the first thing you got to do is really, if the, if the goal is to get Asian Americans in the mainstream, well, you got to kind of define what the mainstream is. Um, so, I mean, you know, what is the mainstream? And for the most part, when I think mainstream, it tends to be watered down things, very you know things that are just kind of easily digestible. Uh, kids' movies tend to be kind of considered mainstream. Um, so you know, is it you know things that kind of don't upset the status quo? Uh, but uh, you know, is it is it um, you know network TV as opposed to cable TV? Because you know there's all millions of people out there that still don't have cable. They still have landlines and you know phone internet dial-ups. Uh, you know, this is an un you know people in this group I think are you know unusual when you compare it to a lot of the country. Um, so you know, I think to me mainstream is probably defined by access, um, and you know as widely available as something like the internet is. You know, again, a lot of people just aren't on it, don't use it, um, and uh, you know, so it kind of defaults to those free forms of entertainment, I guess. Um, or cheap forms of entertainment, newspapers, uh, you know, network television. Um, so I never really had the goal of going into the mainstream or, or pursuing the mainstream, but, you know, if the mainstream happened to come to me, so be it. Um, so, you know, over the years, I think it's coming closer and closer, and I think maybe I've taken a couple steps towards the mainstream with that in mind. But uh, and especially going to the daily comic strip world, where right off the bat you get kind of you know 
uh, messages from editors like, okay, well, Sam, you know, Sam, I had to give him a name too. Sam can't be, you know, can't be drinking. I'm like, really? You can't drink a beer? He's like, no. Um, you know, you can't have certain words. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I'm just like, you know, have you read the strip? Like, do you know what, you, you know, you've signed up for? And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. I had to develop a cast. Suddenly, you know, Sam was always kind of on his own. And I never called him Sam. Now he's called Sam. But now he's got a wife. He's got a kid. You know, and there's a family thing. And it's fine because it's actually, you know, it's closer to, it's kind of back to my personal life again. Um, but, you know, these are all the kind of the lessons of, of what it means to go mainstream. Um, but at one point, you know, during the weeklies, I kind of, I put it out there to the, to the readers, um, the kind of the decision. It's basically, you know, dear readers, I've come to a crossroads and seek your advice, and here's the deal. Over the years, Secret Age Man has steadily gained acceptance and is now appearing in a few papers across the country, mostly Asian-centric papers. When I started the strip, one of my goals was to get into mainstream newspapers and to become the first Asian-American comic strip in the Sunday Funnies. But I have found that this goal wields a hefty price, and it has been suggested to me to change the name of the strip to just Sam in order to not alienate editors and readers. It has also been suggested to me to focus on more than just Asian issues and broaden my topics. This will allow the strip to become more accessible and improve the chances of it being included in the mainstream lineup. The obvious drawbacks here is that it is a compromise of subject matter in exchange for a wider audience. So I ask you, which path should I take? Continue as I've been and slowly gain ground through the papers that, I, that will accept the strip the way it is or change the format in order to reach an audience that I would otherwise never be able to reach and get the first Asian American comic strip in the big daily papers. And, you know, more so than the, the fuck God one, yeah, this garnered the most uh, emails back. And um, I don't know, I mean, if we did a quick vote right now, who would vote to keep it Secret Asian Man? And who would vote to change it to Sam? It's okay, you can see. <laughs> um, and basically, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to keep a secret age, man. That's what it is. Fuck him. I'm not going to change it. Um, but what I wanted to do was make sure I wasn't uh, closing a door on myself and saying, okay, well, that's great. 95% of the people said, keep it. Screw them. You know, like, keep, you know, stick to your guns. And, but it was the 5% of those emails that I really read and scrutinized and said, okay, well, what am I missing? Um, and, you know, oddly enough, those were the more eloquently written ones. You know, some of the other ones were just like, yeah, do it, screw it. But um, the Sam ones were like, well, okay, let's say, let's say it is that easy. Let's say you change it to Sam and you get into more papers. Well, guess what? You have a wider audience to now just, you know, to, to get your message out. And all these things kind of made sense. Um, you know, maybe there were, you know, like uh, the comic boondocks. If the boondocks was called, you know, the black boondocks, would it have been in less papers? Because it was somehow a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more, you know, too edgy for a Sunday funny to be next to, you know, Snoopy and, and, and Dilbert. Um, and so these were the things going in my head. And, you know, this was kind of at a time where I was, I was really thinking about, like, well, I could maybe make a run of this, you know, like maybe I could just... You know, I was doing it for free. You know, I wasn't getting paid to do these comic strips and papers. I was happy to just get them published. Um, but at this point now, papers were starting to pick it up. I had to really think about, well, wh what does that mean? You know, does that mean compromise? Um, so, you know, obviously in the end I didn't change it. Um, and things still worked out and Syndication House, you know, still picked it up. So, you know, I think to me that was kind of an evidence of... Uh, 
mainstream coming to the strip and uh you know much to my you know i guess delight and utter fear when it was actually offered to me uh you know because they they warned me they said you know you know what you're getting into right like you know daily paper this is not weeklies you can't you know you can't do all that stuff so you know with that in mind i jumped and uh you know just kind of kept my eyes closed but uh you know a, a lot of this comes from kind of an activist kind of a point of view and a lot of times i kind of end up asking myself well you know does this really matter? You know, am I am I making it kind of a you know a bigger deal than it really is? Am I seeing things that aren't there? Um, and uh, you know, I have you know every now and then those kind of moments of doubt. But uh, you know, I also kind of cringe when I see forced diversity, like you know, kind of like the classic Benetton ads where they'd be one of everybody, <laughs> and you're just like you know that that's not that's not real either. So you start wondering, you know, I, I just got recently invited to be on the board for uh, the Association of Alternative News Weeklies, like a national organization, diversity board. And I was like, you know, I was like, you want me on that board? Like, you know, the, my first call of order would be to, you know, dissolve the diversity board. Um, you know, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a table full of, uh, I think it was uh, all white guys, one woman, and like, I think maybe there was a Mexican editor or something like that. It, was, it definitely was not the diversity board. And um, but I mean that's when you know that's when I have to think about well, you know if you're going to actively diversify, well, what, what does that mean? You know, all things like affirmative action start coming to mind, and you know, you got to kind of debate that with yourself. Is that the right way to go? You know, it, yeah, it does good, but it screws a lot of people too. Um, you know, you, you start thinking about things like uh, issues like reparations for past you know racial injustices, and you know. Do you really support that? Do you really know what it means to really support that? And you start kind of thinking about all these things. I'm not on the board. I kind of declined just because I feel like I probably would have uh, slowed their attempts at, you know, forcifying their their papers. But, um, you know, and I, and I think I can do better with the strip anyway. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's basically, you know, kind of where the strip is at now. Technically, I guess it's in the mainstream because it's in daily papers, but I still don't feel like the point of view is mainstream. Um, the, uh, the syndicates promised me a nice, slow climb to getting papers in general. Plus, you know, the newspaper industry is just so tanked right now. Um, you know, layoffs left and right, papers just going down. So, you know, now there's a big question about comic strips in general as an art form. Uh, you know, will it survive? Are papers the place for it? You know, what about web comics? Um, Nobody's really figured out a business model for that yet that really works. You know, there's a couple of successful ones, but uh, there's this one guy, uh, Richard Stevens, who did a uh, Diesel Sweeties, and he actually got uh, picked up for syndication by the same editor that picked me up, which is kind of funny. Um, and very successful webcomic, uh, online, every day, uh, also runs a T-shirt business that I guess does really well. And um, he, uh, you know, got picked up by The Daily, and he was doing seven web comics a, a week, seven dailies a week. I mean, this guy was a monster and would just produce. And uh, he quit. He said, this isn't, you know, I, I can't do this. Um, and it's not his audience. He, he felt just completely out of his skin. And uh, so he stopped. And he went back to his web comics. And, you know, he's still making a little bit of money kind of off of merchandising and things like that. Um, so, you know, 
in general, comics are just kind of in an interesting place. Comic strips, anyway. You know, comic books are a completely different thing where, you know, if you have the right character, you can make a movie out of it. Um, every now and then they'll make a comic strip movie. Uh, I think Over the Hedge or something like that was the most recent one. Um, so, you know, and fingers crossed, you know, I, I did start talking to somebody, a producer who's interested in possibly making some sort of a animation type thing for the strip. So hopefully that'll happen. Um, and even that was a weird conversation, like, you know, well, what's that going to be like, uh, you know, stylistically? Like, is it going to be like a Fox TV kind of Simpsons Family Guy kind of style show? Is it going to be like an Adult Swim? I'm like, uh, you know, I, I like the, cre you know, it, it was almost like the Daily versus the Weekly, almost the same thing. The Daily Swim, you can just go bananas and do whatever you want. Fox TV, big, broad audience, mainstream. But you can still be, clearly, you can still be funny and good and, and produce quality stuff. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now, just kind of hammering out w which way should it go. Um, so, and, and I'm sure there'll be tons of other arguments to come. Um, so, you know, doing a lot of these, you know, doing uh, kind of talks and things, um, you definitely come across uh, people who are very gung-ho, very, you know, almost to the point like the Asian pride guy, you know, very supportive culture and uh you kind of got it you know I, I don't know if you know that's something that you guys feel personally as well like once you start thinking about issues you support um in the you know in when it comes to race it kind of breaks down to three different kinds of uh, activism i find anyway and uh it's either you know you can be that asian pride guy who's so into the asian thing and the, all everything they comes out of their mouth is about asian stuff hey come to the asian dance hey we're doing asian cookies and you know like everything is just be asian asian and you can't imagine you know you imagine the guy's you know his bedroom has got you know like i don't know looks like a hut or something and uh so there's that guy um or you know you can uh kind of join forces with other minorities and kind of go under a broader blanket of, you know, racial equality and not so much your very specific one. Um, and, uh, you know, you t tend to kind of, I don't know, get a lot more support, but even once you do that, there are people that you feel like a line gets formed of order of importance of minorities and who's next to be, you know, represented well. And, uh, you could almost break it down by race and by gender, and you know, right now we got you know, big time election coming up, and everybody's bringing up race, and uh, you know, so uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, in terms of black culture, right now there's a lot more actors, you know, in entertainment, in media, mainstream culture, popular culture, very you know, very present, um, and then you know, if you think of Latinos, they're also present too, and there are some you know. Some mega stars, you got the, you know, the Jennifer Lopez's, and, you know, there, there are some big names out there. And when, you know, once you start getting down at the Asian group, you know, there's a couple names, you know, Jackie Chan's, Bruce Lee's, or well, he's gone, but, you know, I guess currently. Uh, but then you start splitting hairs of like, well, they're not Asian American, they're Asian, they're an import, you know. Well, who's Asian American? It's like, well, I don't know. You know, John Cho, okay, I like John Cho, but who knows John Cho? You know, he's not a famous guy. Um, so, you know, you, you can almost see this, you know, you, you can group with other races, but you start getting this kind of a pecking order feeling. Um, and then, or you become like the uh, kind of a sympathizer of 
non-Asian Americans and all you do is um, not hang out with Asians when you're Asian. <laughs> and so you become the, the Asian person in all the groups. Um, so, you know, whether that be from, you know, a denial, a self-hating Asian or whatever you want to call it, um, or, you know, or maybe it's just circumstance. You know, maybe you are one of the few, uh, you know, the people who are adopted, end up in the middle of the country. You're the only person that looks like you. You know, how do you, you know, you're going to come to an age where you're going to start thinking about that and, you know, really kind of reflecting on it. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, you know, pretty much that's, these are the kinds of things that mull through my head a lot. Um, I kind of, kind of tend to be proud of uh, being able to straddle the line, you know, working across the aisle, if you will. Um, you know, and, and I understand, like, if you look at my older strips, a lot of them are very, you know, kind of rah-rah, and I can see how they could turn a lot of people off. But I guess my hope is that, you know, people will, if they're interested in my current work, will look back at where I came from and kind of see what progress can look like and, and how, you know, it is possible to learn. And I don't have all the answers. And even a strip that I'll come up with tomorrow may come from the wrong place. But hopefully the strip that comes out a year from then will have adjusted for that. And, you know, I think it, it's all about dialogue. Um, you know, I love getting emails and letters and just kind of sitting down and talking to people about things. Um, and when it comes to issues of race, you know, I feel like a lot of people just don't want to do it. They just don't want to go there. It's a, you know, you're going to upset somebody. You're going to say the wrong thing. And, you know, I, I like to kind of, I don't care what you, well, not I don't care what you say, but what you say isn't going to, you know, make me run out of the room and think you're a bad person, uh, no matter how severe. And I've had some pretty severe discussions with people. Um, so, you know, uh, you try to take these things and kind of learn from them. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes to the comics as, a, uh, as an art form, well, how do you take that experience and kind of filter it through so that people other than yourself will understand it? Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the challenge um, for me personally anyway. But, um, you know, in terms of challenges in the future um, or challenges producing the strip, things like... Um, uh, self-segregation, like, well, you know, well, why is there a Chinatown? Why is there a Little Italy? Why is there a blah? You know, sometimes uh, being a certain race kind of works for you. And, uh, you know, it's like, brothers and sisters, we, I, if we truly want racial equality in this country, we must abolish racial profiling. We must abolish racial categories in our census. We must abolish racially motivated preferential treatment. Psst, uh, sir, you're a real estate agent called, and we're having a lottery, but minorities get first dibs. <laughs> Gone. You know, you're going to jump on that. <laughs> Um, so those are kind of weird personal struggles too. Like you know, once your race or whatever group, and, and that's definitely one thing I've, I've uh, uh, you know purposely done is step. I have stepped out of purely the Asian thing. My first step was ra all races, and then now it's all groups and basically group dynamics, religions, uh, you know, gender, uh, sexual, you know, preference, whatever. Because you know, every one of you guys belong to groups, and every and your group will tend to have another group that will have friction with it. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, trying to figure that out. Uh, and what does it mean to be in a group? And, you know, this is just kind of an example of a, how you can kind of be a little two-faced, but somehow, you know, can it be okay? I don't know. Um, you get, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
and I get this sometimes too. I get uh, I get challenged for, for my Asianness, uh, and it happens tends to happen at comic book conventions. Um, it's like, and who do we have here? Ah, yes, the secret Asian man, tireless defender of racial slurs, educator of things Asian. Uh, well, I wouldn't say hush. I will now test your metal. Obviously, Ninja Scroll was created by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, but can you name the director of the 13-episode series chronicling the life of Jubei Kikigami? You're kidding. Perhaps something simpler. What, what Japanese composer scored the very first Godzilla movie as well as the first Zatoichi film? Uh, I, uh, just as I suspected, you are no match for the superior knowledge of the 20th-level Afro-Magi from the Dragon Claw Guild. Now go wallow in your ignorance, novice, with his Akira shirt. And, and, and it's funny, because, you know, it just totally happens, too. And people just bring up facts that I have no idea or correct me on things that I've said. And I love it, because it's, you know, it, it's, it's like, good, tell me. Like, I'm wrong. I'm proud to be wrong. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a frustration. Like, God damn it. Um, or, you know, same kind of thing where I actually, you know, end up when you fit your stereotype suddenly. And it's like, uh, you know, somebody has this math problem. They're like, oh, what's this? And you just spout it out. And I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, it's like, can you fix this camera? Yes, you know, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I know how to do it. Um, so, you know, and, and you know, and that's when you can kind of have fun. You know, making fun of yourself is always a good way to go too. And in general, I think I, I've started to veer away from the angry kind of soapbox yelling, you know, shoving it down your throat type thing. You know, to where I've recognized that you, know, you can catch more flies with honey. And uh, if you entertain people and you, if the character becomes endearing, you know, people will accept it more. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the direction I'm taking the strip right now. And it's a lot of fun right now uh, doing the daily thing and, you know, and kind of realizing, okay, the point of the strip wasn't to be drinking beers at a bar. It wasn't to, you know, spout out obscenities and, you know, racial epithets. It was other things. So how can I craft that as best as I can for this medium? And that becomes a challenge, you know, as as the artist for this, um, you know. And then, you know, I guess if if the next step is animation, I'm sure that's a whole completely different set of kind of boundaries to follow. Um, you know, suddenly I'm sure I'll, I won't be able to name certain advertisers or you know just like weird things like that start popping up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's pretty much uh, it's me in a nutshell. Um, I don't know. You wanna... So we've got a mic we can pass around for questions. <laughs> so who wants to jump in? Do it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in um, first off. So clearly you're trying to construct an alternative image uh, and a medium that has a long history of racial iconography. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could comment on some of the choices you made in the design of Sam himself. And how you try to construct a different way of representing what an Asian looks like. Right. Uh, eyebrows, definitely one of the first things that people ask about. Like, what, you know, a lot of people say, like, oh, I thought he was wearing sunglasses. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny because to me, I, I can't remember the, you know, the moment when I was like, I'm going to give him big eyebrows. Like, that never, it's not a clear memory. But to me, I think it was probably more of a, you know, Asians got the small eye thing. So once you look at facial expressions, the eyebrows tended to do more of the talking than the actual pupils themselves. And, and, you know, and to me, the no nose thing, I don't know why that's natural, but I tend to not give them a nose. Um, the bowl cut, you know, definitely playing off stereotypes. 
But, uh, you know, I started drawing it, and I considered changing it, too. I was just like, well, maybe I'll change Sam's hair. You know, like some, a lot of strips, like Charlie Brown, she's always wearing that same shirt. You know, like you want to look in his closet and his drawers like he's a psycho. He's got all the same shirt, and that's it. You know, so I like to change his clothes. If it's cold, he's going to wear a jacket. If he's got, you know, you know new technology comes up, he's going to be using that. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny because uh, syndicates don't like dating their strips. They like them to be timeless classics where you can just read them at any time and, you know, just kind of uh, relate to them. But, you know, I, I tend to like to throw in very specific time things. Um, in terms of, like, you know, kind of the overall design, uh, you know, some of the strips, you know, I grew up um, reading comic books, mostly Marvel-style comic books. But balancing that out, I also read a lot of uh, manga books and, um, you know, kind of like uh, Akira Toriyama-type books, um, who did Dragon Ball Z. It's probably the most famous thing he's known for. But he did an awesome book called Dr. Slump, which was a series, and it turned into an animation. And uh, amazing. And it, it was one of those, you know, uh, early um, influences. And uh, Doraemon, things like that, you know, growing up watching, uh, you know, the Shogun Warrior-type stuff. Um, and, you know, more recently, movies like Akira, where I love the hyper-technical background-type stuff, and then the foreground characters are more simple. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things you notice. When you're a little kid, you don't really notice little technical things in cartoons, but after a while, you look at, like, you know, let's say it's like a Tom and Jerry, like an, kind of an old-school comic, and you can see, like, if there's a dresser, you can see one of the drawers is a little different colored, so you know that drawer is going to open or something's going to happen, and you, know, you start kind of, like, thinking like that. Um, so, you know, it definitely, like, took a lot of those things in. Um, but I think, you know, generally it's more of a graphic design style than a, you know, fine illustration type style. Um, and I love iconography, like, you know, like kind of the board behind Sam in the top panel, that just that yellow head like I have on my website, just like this big icon, icon thing. Um, you know, and, and that kind of stems from, you know, I, my family crest is like a, you know, it's like a circle with a cross feathers kind of thing. It's very plain and, um, you know, easy to recognize. So I'm sure those things kind of sunk in while I was growing up. You know, it was around the house. Um, so... Oh, wow, cool. You can hear yourself. And I can hear myself, too. It's great. Tuck, thank you very much for coming, by the way, and I'm a you're fan welcome, of your yeah. work. Um, I know you're looking forward to actually having your work done in animation, but when I think about racial content within illustration, I think more of the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. uh, most specifically, like Harvey P. Carr's The Quitter was, was to mm -hmm. me, a real revelation as far as graphic novels and identities dealing with race is growing up in Cleveland in a neighborhood that really wasn't too welcoming to other Jewish people. And I'm curious, as opposed to thinking forward towards animation, have you thought about the graphic novel as a place where you can maybe get a little bit more edgier? Yeah, I've definitely, I miss comics. I, I kind of do. Uh, just the, the pacing of it, the, the space that you get to really tell a story and develop things and actually kind of play with stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely not out of the question. I, if anything, I may uh, uh, develop graphic novels almost as storyboard concepts for animation and kind of set up, you know, what kind of things I would do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Uh, again, the animation thing is very, very early stage. It's very, you know, any one of you, if you could start a cartoon, what kind of cartoon would it be? You know, and, and suddenly your head starts going all over the place. Oh, it'd be like this, it'd be like this. And that's kind of where I'm at now. It, it could be different things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, graphic novels, um, 
definitely getting more wider acceptance. You know, a lot more people are reading them, so you know, there's no shame in going back to comics or anything like that. Um, so you know, I, I'm actually going to be doing um, just the other day. I, I hopped on a project um, by this actor Perry Shen, who's actually in a Justin Lin movie. Um, he's putting together uh, like an Asian American themed comic book, like kind of an anthology of uh, you know Asian artists and stuff. And um, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be doing a, a two-page uh, interview. Uh, it's like basically I'm drawing the interview with uh, Larry Hama from uh, Marvel Comics, and um, which would be great because you know this is the guy who did, wrote GI Joe forever. I mean, you know, like this is like can't wait to do that and uh, that'll be probably my first going back to comic style page panels I've done in years which you know is going to be really scary because it's Larry Hama um, but at the same time I think it'll be a lot of fun you know, I'm looking forward to that yeah. so I was, I was really fascinated by your description of the interaction between you and some of your readers maybe even dialogue and now that you're with United Features, how does that work? I mean, are, are they? The, is there someone at this, this sort of office that's of interface for you, or for like is it the editors? Like who's yeah, who's sort of? On the one hand, it sounds like there's a bunch of rules, like right, don't right. say this and don't say that, don't right. do this. But are those parameters set by this by the the syndicators themselves, or is this pressure from lowest common denominator editors? When one editor bitches to you, that sort of it shuts you down across the board. How does that work? I mean, I think basically the editors at a, if you're an editor at a syndicate, you're going to hear bitching from comic uh, from uh, uh, newspaper editors already. You already know what the accepted culture is for newspapers in general for dailies. Um, so, I mean, I think that's what was being fed to me, and all those parameters were set by the editors, by the uh, the business people, kind of the sales people, because you know they want to sell your strip, but you know if you're doing the wrong thing, nobody's going to pick it up. They don't get their commission. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of uh, reader feedback, you know, I still get that directly. Um, and what's kind of been neat is, you know, like at first, you think of a syndicate and you know, syndication, and you're like, well, whatever. They're, well, we're going to put it on our site um, and comics.com. And to me, I'm like, when I, you know, when I'm online, I I'm not at like one site. I'm all over the place. You know, so it's like, well, who cares? Like, who 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 would go to a comics.com? Like, and uh, as soon as it was up immense rise in traffic on my personal site but also in feedback and emails and you know it kind of made me realize like wow like you know I guess they do reach a lot of people and you know and, and a lot of people kind of identify that oh I came across your comic you know because I was reading this and oh what's Secret Asian Man and, and you get a lot of new readers like that um, one of the to me the most interesting group of readers uh, that I've started to get is uh, readers from the military People who are abroad, and uh, you know, and, and they'll identify right off the bat. I'm lieutenant, blah blah blah, and you know, they, I don't know if it's like the way they think, but you know, and, and it's and it's kind of neat, you know, and it, it makes me think. It's like, wow, they're really they're, that says something, you know. These are people on a lot of people in the navy for some reason, but you know, on their ships in the middle of nowhere, I got nothing to do, and they're surfing the web, and you know, they come across Comics.com because it's one of the few you know sites that filter through that they can actually access and. Um, so that's been kind of neat, you know, and to get that, and because my, you know, my parents are from, you know, or, uh, immigrants. There is no deep history in this country. There is no, you know, generations of military service. There's no McCain type style thing going on. So to me, the military was always, you know, I had 
preconceived notions about people in the military and, you know, why would you serve and, you know, like, kind of like that. And to come around to, you know, deal with, uh, to talk to people like that personally is kind of a, it's a neat experience. And just a quick follow, I mean, that was going to actually be my second question. Mm -hmm. Readership outside the U.S. and the military are kind of right. de deported Absentee, U.S. people. Right. But but are there are are you getting any readership from outside the U.S. Uh, any traction in in Japan, for example? Or it's funny uh, the the first sales meeting we had, like when I went to New York and sat in this big you know twenty foot long table and everybody was there, all the salespeople were there, and they asked the international salesperson like, how do you think this strip will fly, you know, overseas? And uh, and she hit it right on the head, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, I think it'll do good, and you know, some parts of Northern Europe, and blah blah blah. I don't think it'll do well in Asia." <laughs> and I was like, "I completely agree with you because I don't think it's that. It's it's not that. You know, uh, it's a different experience. Um, but I'm getting a lot of hits around the area. Actually, Australia for some reason I get a lot of kind of uh, people. <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, kind of people near there, um, and uh, England." I mean, I guess, you know, pretty diverse, uh, you know, air, well, London, I guess, but, um, yeah, getting some readers out there, too, so it's kind of, you know, I get every now and then the stray guy from Turkey or, you know, the Sri Lankan guy, and, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Anybody want to challenge me? <laughs> No. Um, this is just a very specific one about your fuck God strip. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get the reference the first time I read it. On the sidebar, it refers to Crom, and um, it has. So I don't know if ever the has Krom everyone reference? else. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Has everyone else seen the Conan the Barbarian movie? that this quote comes from? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's... Yeah. So they ask Citizen Conan what is the best in life, and he says to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. Right. And to see that sort of figure transposed onto um, Bush, suddenly, <laughs> like, that. that's like... Oh, it. Re the comic strip then reads in a completely... <laughs> on a completely different level from there, so right. I just wanted to say that I finally get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I kind of knew, you know, like, when, you're, when it's just you and the paper in the room, you get all your jokes. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you get all your own references. But, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I probably take for granted, like, what, you haven't seen Conan the Barbarian? But like, that's, you know, kind of an obscure movie at this point. That's why I think it'd be interesting, like, if, if all these were released in some sort of collected whatever volume, you know, it would kind of somehow date the material in a way, too. But, like, you know, people would kind of find those things out and be like, what the hell is Crom? Google Crom. Ooh, hey. <laughs> and then, you know, it gets kind of a, I don't know. I want to see what these strips mean to me in 20 years, you know, and, and see if I even get my own jokes, <laughs> my own references. So just to, not to monopolize it, but um, mm -hmm. so it's secret Asian man, and and you know from the start you were sort of talking about some of the tensions among Asian Americans and right. being Japanese with 
the Japanese-Chinese problem or potentially Korean problem. Um, so, so why Asian? I mean, are, are you Asian identified as opposed to Japanese identified? How does that play? Given that it, you know, whatever level of granularity you're going to see difference, and if you right. zoom into the Asian community, suddenly, what looks like one group that's pitted against white or black America is right. suddenly far more factious than it might seem. So, how does that? So, why specifically Asian? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know. One of the first things when they hear the name is like, oh, that's that, like the you know the old Johnny Rivers song, Secret Asian Man, and it kind of is. You know, it, it's it was no deeper than that <laughs> when I came up with the name. I was like, oh, that's, you know, just there's a Secret Asian Man. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, over the years, people have found different meaning in it, which is kind of funny to me. You know, it's, oh, it's secret, right? Because you know, you're kind of assimilated into the culture, and so you're not, you know, you're not really Asian. It's like, okay, you know, um, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've kind of stopped thinking about what the title means, but still keeping in mind what maybe effect it has on people. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of like that, uh, that minority uh, real estate draft, you know, thing. Sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I bet if it wasn't, you know, if it, it wasn't an Asian-themed strip, I wouldn't have gotten into like Asian Week and places like that, you know, like ethnic media, which is booming actually, um, you know, compared to mainstream dailies. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things. It was working. It, sometimes it doesn't. You know, rarely can you prove it when it doesn't work for you. <laughs> You're not going to have an editor say, you know, oh, I didn't pick it up because it said Asian on it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I've recently started thinking again about the whole uh, Secret Asian Man versus Sam thing. If ever it got into the, um, like, you know, kind of that next level animation y type thing, it would be something I would look at again and be like, okay, well, here we go. You know, I, I got to win this debate with myself. <laughs> like, am I going to keep it or am I going to change it? You know, what are the pros and cons? Um, but, I don't know. I'm not sure if that answers directly the question. Okay. Other characters in the offing? I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty full life right now with you mm-hmm. know, running two mag, doing the design, the artwork of two different magazines, and right. this. And but, given that you sort of pose that dilemma of do I go big but tempered, or do I keep my edge and stay small? Right. Any any thoughts or future ideas about? Developing another character that can really be edgy and stay in the, you know, where you can vent your, mm-hmm. or is uh, that just adolescence? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it's like I can't, like when I close my eyes at night, I'm haunted by all the ideas. <laughs> like I have, you know, there's so many things I want to do, and clearly there's so many hours in the day. Uh, there are definitely projects that are not Secret Age Man related that I would love to jump on. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of them involving film, movies, things like, not necessarily me drawing type things, but more kind of things that are uh, not easily digestible. But I guess kind of easily digestible. You know, things that were, you know you just kind of present to somebody, and you know it's it's more than just a page or this amount of space. Um, I would love to do a, a like a Blazing Saddles style comedy about uh, Chinese railroad railroad workers. Um, and really kind of um, have that world 
you know, and have it be a romantic comedy at the same time. So it, inserting kind of, you know, Asian people in an unfamiliar kind of thing where it's, it's you know, there's a romance thing and, and as uncomfortable as those people were watching Aaliyah and, uh, and uh, Jet Li making out, you know, like having an Asian guy actually get the girl on screen. Um, put it in a historical context because that'll offer a little bit of that educational kind of thing like I'm pretty sure everybody knew that but maybe not everybody knew that you know just kind of the history of it um, but also parts of that history that people may not realize like Irish involvement and you know just kind of other races it wasn't just you know the Chinese and you know um, and that kind of thing but and uh, you know and in the background all the cowboys and Indians you know all history is just kind of happening in the background meanwhile the guy just wants to go out with this girl you know this simple guy simple girl and um, you know uh, bring to light kind of certain uh, kind of tragedies you know like you always balance good comedy with some sort of tragedy and um, you know the the practice of sending little uh, Chinese kids down baskets with dynamite sticks to help blow up you know because they were they were the smallest, and they would send them down on a rope in a little basket full of dynamite to uh, put in, you know, drill holes and put them into the rock faces so they can blow them out. And, um, you know, in a lot of those, you know, uh, uh, there would be accidents and, you know, sweaty dynamite and kids died. Um, things like that, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I would love to do something like that. Um, you know, and another project I would love to do is... Uh, more of an animation, lighthearted kind of thing. You know, when you're driving on the highway, that strip between the two highways, the grass. I always look at that and 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 uh, think of the animals that live there. And I wanted to create a world based on that island, where it's not a circular island; it's a linear kind of existence, where you can't go this way because then you're dead, pretty much. Um, but then, you know, interaction between the animals who can make it over, like birds, and you know who can deliver messages to faraway places and, you know, and every now and then it'll open up to a big, wide kind of foresty area and, you know, the, maybe the, you know, the raccoon king lives there and, you know, and he's got his little thing going on and, you know, things like that. Like, you know, and, and mixing like an environmental message with this the crap that gets thrown out and, you know, just kind of have a, you know, the nature man need to get along because you know both can screw each other over kind of message so i mean there's a lot of things to, to like take on and every now and then i'll write a page or write a little sentence to kind of develop those characters but and then there's the comic book that i started years ago that i never finished uh called the couch which um i actually published uh issue one and uh, it was going to be a three-part series and uh you know, that's when I learned the kind of the trials and tribulations of self-publishing a comic book and trying to market it and not having a publisher and you have to bring the boxes to all the conventions and you have to sell each $2 book and, you know, and just, you know, pimp yourself out. But, I mean, that was kind of a, that was more of a punk rock uh, mystery about um, basically um, if you flip your couch over, all the crap that comes out of your couch... You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's food, there's skin cells, there's hair, there's all sorts of lovely things. And basically what happens is, is the main uh, character is murdered and he's shot in the face with a, a shotgun. Blood soaks into the couch. The blood becomes kind of this catalyst for all those things and collects collectively uh, turns into this little goo ball that looks kind of like a sperm. 
and uh, but has all the memories and, and flashes of anybody who's ever sat on the couch or has left any sort of information and uh, basically doesn't know what it is and starts to have flashbacks about who he was, what happened to him, who he, you know, his girlfriend at the time, and then starts to solve his own mystery um, as he goes. And, you know, as he's eating old rotted pizza, he gets a little bigger, gets a little more information as he eats, you know, he's kind of like that, that Katamari game, you know, where you kind of get bigger and bigger. Um, and then ultimately, you know, he solves the mystery and the whole nine, but then what do you do? You, st- you know, it's, it's the end of the movie, but you got this blobby thing, you know, like what, what's the existence of the blobby thing at the end of the movie after the, the mystery is solved and, you know, how basically, you know, it comes to grips and this whole return to nature kind of ending sequence. <laughs> so I should work on that too. <laughs> Sounds like a great game. <laughs> but. So I, given your interest in group dynamics, I, I mm-hmm. suddenly was curious about the, the, your day job working for beer affection. Uh, <laughs> there's a detail about your life I hadn't run across right. before. So I'm wondering, I mean, I'm clearly working with an identity politics frame on the secret Asian man and then working with uh, cultural preference defined group uh, with, um, with your affection others. Uh, right. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about that community and, and how they can see whether anyone actually thinks of themselves in those terms or, you know, right. who, who, what kind of people would buy a magazine like that and how, and how do you serve their needs? I mean, there's definitely a, a beer snobs is a title that gets thrown around and it's, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with wine snobs where people just will not drink a beer, I'm having wine. It's like, well, why can't you do both? Uh, beer people, I mean, they're definitely an interesting group, you know, brewers, and uh, but they're pretty diverse, too. I mean, I tr- I've had kind of preconceived notions. Um, I'm thinking, you know, here's a bunch of guys that just sit around and drink beer all day, and that's all they do. But, you know, a lot of these people have really interesting, you know, some of them have very scientific backgrounds, some of them have very artistic backgrounds, some are more, you know, musicians that love the art form of, you know, or, or they love cooking with it. Um, you know, there's a guy that um, uh, uh, traveled around and uh, found, he's starting a thing called Jurassic Beer, and it's basically, they found a, a, yeast, mo- uh, a yeast that was uh, inside um, amber, I guess, and the, you know it was still alive, and so they kind of grew that out, and they're making a whole line of beers off of that Jurassic beer from the dinosaurs. You know, very scientific kind of thing, kind of geeky, but still, you know, like it's not just you know, it's not just Bud and you know those kind of things. There's a lot of you know home brewing, craft brewing. There's all these different worlds, and you know I feel kind of weird now going to a bar and you know, not overly being into the culture, but because I'm involved with a magazine, I just absorb these things, and I can geek out and just kind of look at things and probably, you know, sound kind of freakish at the bar. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what's the, you know, what's the hot percentage? And, you know, like, and I can kind of break it down. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is a community. You know, beeradvocate.com, the, the website that the magazine is based on, is the largest beer community in the world online. And, uh, you know, there's just hundreds of thousands of people on that. You know, you could write your own reviews, and it, it's kind of neat. You know, there's definitely a culture there. Um, you know, and, it, and for the most part, I feel like it doesn't get uh, kind of the top-shelf treatment as like a cigar aficionado or a wine, you know. It's not highbrow, it's, it's beer. So, But I think maybe that's its appeal, you know. 
Who doesn't like beer? <laughs> so. Um, as I was looking through all your comic strips, um, you shifted from you know experiences the Japanese American, and then you know through criticism you started talking about Taiwanese, and then racial other racial minorities. And you know after doing this for nine years or so, has do you think your message has changed from your original purpose of the comic strip? Uh, well, the delivery has definitely changed. The, the kind of the, the way I, I'll try to get messages across. Um, I'm probably what's changed the most is are those themes, are kind of uh, the kinds of groups that I'll talk about. Um, you know, and, and to me, not belonging to most of those groups, it becomes a learning process for me. And you know, I found it kind of a newfound love for reading books outside of my own experience. Um, so. You know, I think you know the readers will learn with me, and I tend to like. And you know, after I read a book about something, I'll kind of focus on that and just do a bunch of strips based on that, and then I'll move on to the next thing. Um, you know, in a way, it, it's kind of, you know, I suppose, or I think sometimes it's somewhat artificial. Like you know, here I am. Oh, I'm going to go to a mosque today because I feel like writing about mosques. You know, and, and you kind of feel like a tourist going to all these things. But you know, you got to do something. You got to start somewhere. And, you know, and, and books are great. You know, and I definitely read those. But those personal experiences are good too. Um, when I went on a tour, uh, I did a southern kind of tour down to Florida, and I, and I rarely go down south. Florida, Virginia, and. Um, Waco, Texas, and uh, you know, I had my southern preconceived notions. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be fun," and uh, and it was great because I, I think to me the most the best interactions I had on those three trips, uh, you know, the talks were great, but they were all like the Asian American groups and you know that kind of thing. It was kind of preaching to the converted. Everybody knew what I was there to talk about. Uh, best conversations were with the drivers, the people that got me from the airport to the colleges. Um, I had an hour from the airport to the to the college in Virginia, and two hours from the airport to the to Waco, and so this is just a a guy who drove a car, who grew up here, you know, just a sample of a, a person who would be there, and it was great, you know, and and he'd be, oh, so where do you what do you do? What are you in town for? And then we'd just go into this thing, and uh, all my preconceptions just kind of you know started melting away, and. Uh, you know, it was neat. You know, I was convinced I'm, you know, I'm in bushland. I'm in, you know, I just, this guy probably wants to kill me, you know, like, not really, but yeah, these are kind of the, you know, things and, you know, it, it just became, I don't know, very interesting. Um, so, you know, it, it's neat to take personal experience and, you know, there's no substitute for that. Um, you know, and I don't know if it's a curse, but, you know, I just can't turn that off. Like, you know, I'll be on a train or whatever, and I'm always kind of absorbing those little weird moments, um, noticing little nuanced things like if I'm on a train, <clears throat> and I did a recent strip about this, if I'm on a train, you know, an Asian lady gets in, she goes and sits next to the Asian guy instead of, like, the, the open seat next to the black guy. And, and I'm like, you know, I <laughs> start thinking, like, 
was there thought there, or did she just sit there, or, you know, and then suddenly I'm looking around me, I'm like, oh, you know, like, what am I doing? And, well, why am I sitting next to, like, you know, all the girls, or, you know, I don't know. So, you know, it, it's fun, and you, you got to kind of inject fun into the whole thing, too. Um, yeah, I drew a comic strip uh, for Boston University for their daily free press. I, I was just curious, like, things like cartoons like yours and the boondocks, is your objective first to make people laugh or to teach them? That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, probably, I, I think it depends per strip. I mean, overall, I hope to hit both, you know, kind of pretty balanced. Um, but to, if I had to focus on one more than the other, it would be to make, to entertain. And, uh, but I kind of somehow, I don't know, I feel like I can't separate inserting little facts or, you know, trying to do that education thing. You know, I was actually a preschool teacher for six years, and, you know, it was one of the best jobs I ever had, just working with little kids because they're pure, true people. You know, you can't pull a fast one on a little kid. And, um, you know, kind of taking that experience, like teachable moment. That was like a big thing at the preschools. You know, like you have a conflict, you know, make it a teachable moment. Um, the strips are kind of like that, you know. But if it's not entertaining, who's going to read it? You know, you become the crazy preacher guy in the corner. You know, like you can have a great message, but if, if, if it's not going to relate to people, then what's the use, you know? Um, and I think ultimately that's what gives it its longevity. Um, you know, again, back to the whole, you know, uh, presidential thing, you know, people, a lot of people in, uh, you know, focused on uh, Barack Obama for his color. And, but then, you know, immediately arguments come up, we're voting for the best candidate, you know, and, and that should be the main thing. And, uh, you know, and that's a big thing in, in, in race politics in general is, you know, it's, it's like that, uh, that real estate thing where, you know, on the one hand, you want to advocate for your group because you do feel, you know, legitimately uh, underrepresented and or, you know, even oppressed in some ways. But then how do you push that agenda without having people, you know, alienating people because of that agenda? Uh, you know, it's a tricky thing, you know, and I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's a work in progress. You know, there is no, you know, silver bullet to, you know, solve all that stuff. But, um, you know... It, I think ultimately, you know, I, I'll give credit to my dad, you know, because my dad's an artist too, is I can only, uh, you know, focus on making what I do the best, uh, regardless of what people think about it. And because uh, people are going to misinterpret it anyway, or, you know, or, or have their own interpretations, which is great. Um, you know, some of my favorite strips are the ones that leave things open to interpretation. Uh, I, I did a like a caption contest one where it was basically... It was uh, Sam in a in a bathroom, men's room. From the back, Sam and a black guy. And the black guy was looking at Sam down below, and it was a empty caption. And I said, "Give me, give me a caption." <laughs> All these people, just like you know, you know, it was funny just to see what that setup would produce. And you know, there was a lot of different things, and some very typical, and you know, some. I don't know, kind of bizarre. <laughs> uh, but I posted them all online, you know, so people could, you know, see them and see how, you know, how different people would react to something like that. Um, so, you know, and I think, you know, to make it playful, is, I guess, is part of the entertainment kind of value. 
because um, I think humor breaks down a lot of walls. And if you can make somebody laugh, you know, it's, it's hard to be mad at them. Or, you know, suddenly, I don't know, I think you can palette the, uh, the message a little bit better. Um, so, I mean, I, I just recently saw a thing about uh, so traveling comedians. I forgot what they were called, but uh, like a Palestinian comedian and a Jewish comedian. And, like, you know, they're all just going around, like, you know, making jokes about each other and trying to tear down these walls. Like, yeah, you know, I'm... You know, Palestinian guys like I'm married to a Jewish woman, and you know our wedding was kind of you know we had a UN dividing line, but like you know Palestine was here, and you know and it was you know you got to bring humor into you know situations like that. It's a good first step anyway. Um, you know, clearly there are serious things too, but. Uh. I got a serious question this time. <laughs> I said mesmerize you with the desktop. So you were talking earlier about people's reaction to your strips that um, were not quote-unquote funny. <laughs> and I was thinking about, like, for you in a way, I mean, you were working through humor served as a kind of therapy. It was, it's through humor that we work through the sort of worst of our traumas. Mm. But for the reader... Humor is the buffer against the almost like a skin over the truth that makes it kind of palatable and the uncovering and excavation of that lost sort of lost history of the Asian Americans in the United States. And so it's sort of the different purposes of reader and writer to the humor with the strip standing in the middle of the two of you. In the moments where like in a way, like when writing a strip, there's an implicit contract with you as the quote unquote like humorist mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be funny, that you're not supposed to break that barrier and be serious. Right. Like for you, how do you weigh them when it's valuable to break that down and say, sorry, today is not a funny day? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it works best when, it, when it's unannounced. And people almost go into it thinking it's going to be funny, and then it ends up being kind of fucked up, you know. And, and I think sometimes that's a very uh, effective way to do it. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, comic strip. You know, the term itself, the 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 you know the label itself, kind of sets itself up. Comic, it's got to be funny, you know. Like, but you know, it, it, that to me, it kind of it's um, you know, those editorial cartoons and even editorial cartoons tend to be kind of funny, you know, like, for the most part, but they're, somehow they're allowed that kind of leeway to not be funny. They end up on the op-ed page instead of the funny pages. Um, I remember I did a talk at um, Georgetown, and uh, I was in a room, and this huge group of kids came in, sat down, and uh, they were all together, and uh, I started talking, and they're like, wait, wait, comics, like, oh, you're not a comedian? It's like, oh, no, no, I do comic strips. Like, oh, well, we saw a comic and we thought, you know, comedian. And, you know, there's this automatic kind of, you know, assumption that it's, you know, about humor. And, you know, it is, hopefully. But, um, you know, I think, you know, and this, this country's kind of got interesting history with comics in general, um, you know, compared to, like, Europe, compared to Asia. Um, I actually don't know a lot about uh, uh, African comics, but I know right now there's a lot of uh, 
uh, new artists coming up there too. Uh, a lot of heavy political stuff, but you know, every kind of you know culture has its own history. Uh, here it tends to be funny, you know, the funny pages. Uh, comic book. You know, every time I see a comic uh, uh, article in a newspaper about comics, it starts, you know, bang, pow, zap, and it just drives me nuts because it's like that's not what it's about anymore, you know, or some of them are. But